0: Good morning. When we first moved into the house that we're living in now, I had parked my truck on the drive next to us, just beyond us. Parked it parallel with with Elk Run Road. Had my truck and trailer over there and I thought, surely nobody would mess with it there. Elk Run Road's a fairly busy road. Thought nobody would try to steal anything because it's right out front. It's parallel with the road, and so I felt pretty safe. Well, one one Sunday, I don't know if it was uh, Sunday night, probably, or I walked out Monday morning anyway, and the side door of my trailer was swinging. It was open. I went in and started looking around and discovered this was missing and that was missing and the blower and the trimmer and the toolbox that had all kinds of things in it and drills, and I... They ended up stealing over $1,500 worth of things. And I discovered I was completely unprepared for a thief. I had felt pretty relaxed, and I wasn't prepared. I called the, uh, the sheriff's office, and when the deputy came out, I asked him. He was dusting for fingerprints and everything, and he didn't say much, and when he was done, He shook his head and he said, this guy was good. He said, you don't have a single fingerprint. There's no tire marks in the gravel. He checked everything. He said, all the the tires, all the tire marks in the gravel match your truck and trailer. Uh, There's no other vehicle involved. As far as he could tell, the person walked across the fields and left with what they could carry. So they knew what they were doing. And I said, well, do you have any suggestions for me? What can I do? to make so it's not, so it doesn't happen again. And he said, sure, I've got a couple. And he started listing them. He said, first of all, you've got to turn that truck and trailer differently. You have it turned so the side door's away from the road. And there's no, he said, you've got to put light on this trailer, uh, move it closer to the house. So you better believe I paid attention to what he said, because I just lost a lot of money. I moved it close beside the house. I." got Wayne, he's smarter than I am, I got him to put up a light above the garage door that shone out onto the truck and trailer right on that side door and I, I trimmed trees, got out a pole saw and did some serious trimming on the pine trees to make so that the light covered a big area around it so no one would feel comfortable getting in there again. I had to be intentional. <clears throat> That happened, I guess, about 14 years ago, and nobody's messed with it since. But when they broke into it, I was unprepared. Recently, I was reading in Proverbs chapter 4, and Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, got my attention. In the NLT, it says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And when I see above all else, it gets my attention. Above all else. This is the most important thing. Get this. And in Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon is talking to his children. He says this. I'll, read, I'll go back to that uh, later. You know, if you think about your heart, what is your heart? Our, our physical heart is the life-giving pump, right? It pumps blood all through the body. We want to protect that. Uh, I think of a guy in Warrenton. I see him fairly regularly in a neighborhood I mow in. I think of Warrenton as a pretty safe town. It's a pretty safe place, but whenever this young man, he's in his 20s, whenever he comes out of the house, right across the street from the lawn I'm mowing, he's wearing body armor. I think, interesting. I wonder what experience he's had that he thinks he needs body armor. I never thought I needed body armor in in Warrington, but he comes out with a bulletproof vest and uh, just acts strange. He's out to protect his vitals. He's protecting his heart. The heart's important. If there's a car accident and the ambulance shows up, one of the first things they're going to do is check your pulse. Yep, he's got a pulse. The heart's beating you verified that, then you go on to check less important things. So just like our physical heart is central to our physical life, the scriptures show us that our spiritual heart, the heart is central to our spiritual life. And I, when I started looking at what scripture says about the heart, uh, frankly, it was overwhelming. There's so many scriptures about the heart. Don't worry, I'm not going to attempt to look at all those i'd like to mention a couple this morning but we find in scripture the heart encompasses the mind our thoughts it's also it includes our will where we make decisions are spoken of as coming from the heart and the emotions come from the heart the heart as it's used in scripture is the center of a person the inner person. Unger's Bible Dictionary describes it this way. The heart is the laboratory and origin of all that is good and evil in thoughts, words, and deeds. That's the heart. In Matthew 12, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. I remember, just thought of it now, we're reading this verse, um, about, I would guess, about 12 years ago. Some of you would remember better. When we had that, we had a really big snow for here, and the snow was deep enough, it really drifted up in our, at our place. I mean, the snow was deep enough, when I went up 605, Where it hadn't been plowed, I was pushing snow with the truck, and it was building up, and snow was starting to come up over the hood. I almost stayed stuck there. Well, our house has pine trees all around it, and it's protected, and so the snow really built up, blew in there and built up. I pulled into my driveway, and I'm ashamed to tell you this story. I pulled in, and I I thought, I'll just put it in four-wheel drive, no problem, I can go through there. And I'm going through and things got worse and I got on the gas heavier and truck started hopping and stopped dead. I wasn't going anywhere. I was stuck in my own drive. And when that happened, I hit my steering wheel and I said a word I hadn't said in 30 years. And I, was, <laughs> I immediately said, Lord, where did that come from? And I thought of this verse. It came from my heart. It showed what was in my heart. Now, I'm I'm very happy to say I haven't said that since then either. (laughs) But circumstances brought out what was already there. And I was ashamed. So a good man brings out of the good treasure of his heart, he brings forth good things. Oh, I'm also happy to say the GMC did go on through it. (laughs) It just bucked around a bit. You know, when we submit to Jesus Christ... Our heart is a dwelling place, and I'm not going to turn to these scriptures. I'll mention them if you want to turn there later. When we submit to Jesus Christ, our heart is the dwelling place of Christ. We see that in Ephesians, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3.17. It's a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We see that in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22. It's the dwelling place of God's peace. It's in Colossians 3 and verse 15, and of God's love, Romans 5.5. God's love is is poured out in our hearts. The heart is important. Are you aware this morning that your heart is a battleground? We probably don't think about that a lot, but my heart is a battleground, and it is important that I think about that. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 say, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Satan wants to keep that from happening. First Peter five eight says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour." Satan knows if he can turn our heart away from God. He has this. He doesn't always try to do that in an abrupt, big shift. It may be very subtle and get me to start curbing a bit off to the side. You know, Psalm, a couple verses about the heart. Psalm 66, 18. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's what I am like. In Mark 12 and verse 30, well-known verse, Jesus said, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with part of your heart, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength you think God wants the whole person, my whole being. I'm to love God with, with everything that I have. Reminds me of a story I came across of the Rothschild family. During the 19th century, the Rothschild family possessed the largest private fortune in the world. The father had five sons, and to make sure they kept control of their They owned banks on several continents and a number of other companies to make sure they kept control of their companies and and kept their wealth in the family. The father had the sons marry within the family and kept all the money there. In a conversation with Mr. Rothschild, someone said to him, You are bringing up your sons to make money, I suppose? He answered, Of course I am. What else should they do? But still, said the other, I'm sure that you must wish them to look to something higher and something better. No, he replied, I do nothing of the kind. If a man wants to make money, he must give his heart and soul to it. That is what these young men have to do, and they must not have their minds distracted from the one pursuit they have in life, namely, to make money, or else they will never succeed at it. You know, Mr. Rothschild had the right idea. About focusing on one thing. Not being distracted from one pursuit. But it was on the wrong thing. His was on making money and having that be the focus. Instead of loving the Lord with all your heart, all you have. I should run a good good business. But ultimately it should be because I love God. And I want to honor him, not because my sole focus is on money. <clears throat> I'm going to go back to uh, Proverbs 4. I want to read that. In the, I'm going to back up just a couple verses from the verse I read before and start in, in verse 20. Reading this from the NLT, I'm going to read verses 20 to 27. says, Solomon, speaking to his children, my, my child, pay attention to what I say. Pay, listen carefully to my words. Do not lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they will bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. That's the context for guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Notice after verse, after we're told to guard our hearts above all else, Notice it affects my speech. It affects what I look at. It affects where I go, where my feet go. The question I need to ask myself when I consider something is, ultimately, where will this lead me? Where would this path take me if I continue in that? Gateways to the heart are many, and I need to guard them. You know, even after I submit to the Lord Jesus, there is a thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. In seeing what Scripture has to say about the heart, I noticed it describes several people as having a prepared heart. The Hebrew word translated prepare actually means to stand straight, to be alert and ready, which I found interesting. Because it's related to maybe having a prepared heart is a way of guarding your heart. To stand straight, be alert and ready. As you read through 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you probably notice that each king's life is summarized typically with one sentence. Either he did what was evil, or he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And their whole, their whole life, their whole reign is summed up in one sentence. <clears throat> I'm going to turn to 2 Chronicles, and I'd look, like to look very briefly at two kings. One, we're told, prepared did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord, and another one did like to contrast those two. First one is in 2nd Chronicles chapter 12. And it's the summary of Rehoboam's life. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. So Solomon wrote these proverbs to his sons. And now I want to take note of of what it says about Rehoboam in Second Chronicles 12, turning to verse 14, the summary here, actually, yeah, I'll go ahead and read verse 14, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. So here, the summary of Rehoboam's reign is he did evil, and then it goes on to tell us why, why he did evil. And it's because he didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Second Chronicles eleven. I'm flipping back just a bit again. Rehoboam in verse verses sixteen and seventeen. Rehoboam actually started out well. I just want to point that out. Rehoboam started out well, and he he listened to the prophet the Lord sent him, and. God told him not to attack Jeroboam, whom God had given ten of the twelve tribes to Jeroboam. And the prophet came and said, no, this is from the Lord, don't fight them. And he listened, he went back. They obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. That's in verse 4 of 11. I'm jumping down, and just to summarize here, there's lots of names in here that won't mean much to us, where they built cities, but the um, the Levites had left, were leaving their places, their homes in the northern kingdom and coming to Rehoboam in the southern kingdom in Judah because they wanted to live for the Lord. And, and he had appointed him he had priests and, and he, he was honoring the Lord. And so all those, jumping in verse 16, after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, or the northern kingdom, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam son of Solomon strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. It repeats twice. It was for three years. He did the right thing for three years, but it didn't last. Notice chapter 12 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. I'm going to stop there. So when things went well, when God blessed him, he turned away from God. What sense does that make? And yet that's the tendency of our heart. Things are going well, and so he turned away from God, He's trusting in himself. He didn't father I'm sorry, He didn't follow his father Solomon's instruction in, in Proverbs three verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. Instead, He went His own way. And as Scripture says, He did not prepare His heart to seek the Lord. A heart that is prepared to seek God is a heart that recognizes its need. God, I need you. I can't handle life without you. I'm going to go wrong on my own. Recognizes, I need God. It's a humble heart. A prepared heart is a heart that looks to God for direction on how to live. And Rehoboam wasn't looking to God for direction. He started out well, but he didn't continue. <clears throat> Second King is also in Second Chronicles. In Second Chronicles chapter 17... Familiar King, Jehoshaphat, going to jump in in, uh, let's see, 17 verses 3 and 4. This is at the beginning of his reign. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Jumping down to verse 6. And he, his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. <clears throat> so here was a king who sought the Lord. And he he did what was right. And God established his kingdom. Uh, also in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 32, is the summary of... Jehoshaphat's reign. I'm not going to look much at his life. You're familiar with parts of it. Um, in 20 and verse 32 is the summary of Jehoshaphat's life. And he walked in the way of his father Asa and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. So there's his, his summary. He did what was right. In, <clears throat> after hearing that description, of Jehoshaphat it might be a surprise to you to, to find out that he also made some serious mistakes in fact in second chronicles chapter 18 he allied himself with the wicked king Ahab by marrying his daughter and then he also agreed to go and fight with Ahab against a common enemy in spite of the fact that God's prophet you'll probably remember the story that Ahab brought in 400 prophets, and and they all prophesied as one man saying, yes, go, and God will give you the victory. And Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, isn't there one prophet of the Lord that we can consult? And he said, oh, there's one, but he never says anything good about me. He always says terrible things are going to happen. He said, well, you shouldn't say that. Bring him. Let's see what he says. They bring him, and he says that bad things are going to happen. They'll not be successful. And that Ahab won't come back. And sure enough, Ahab is killed there. Anyway, in spite of this prophecy, he foolishly goes, Jehoshaphat foolishly goes along with Ahab into battle. And he almost loses his life. Ahab does lose his life. So he comes back home. And in chapter 19 of 2 Chronicles, verses 2 to 4, God sends a prophet to rebuke him. And he says, get to that. And Jehu, son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you, in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. So in rebuking him, God recognized that Jehoshaphat has prepared his heart in seeking the Lord. And when he was rebuked, he responded well to correction. He responded when God told him he was wrong. He responded well, if we read on in verse 4, So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim, over the whole country, and he brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. goes on to say that he set up judges in the land and told the judges to fear the Lord because He is with you when you're judging he recognized the presence of god and that they needed to walk in his ways and he turned the country back to the lord we're told so when he was rebuked he accepted correction he changed course he recognized his need and he was looking to god for direction he changed he was willing to change That gives me comfort because I'm not perfect and neither are you and we're going to fail. We're going to discover sin in our lives when God reveals it to us. And how do I respond? How do I respond to rebuke? Oh, that's not bad. Nothing. That's okay. No, but I should respond and willingly change course, line up with what God says. You know, it reminds me of my dog Victor number of years ago, we had a pair of Jack Russells, Trixie and Victor, and uh, Trixie listened. She was very voice sensitive. She listened well, and Victor did too as long as we were inside the invisible fence. Where we lived at the time, we had an invisible fence around the whole yard, and the dogs could just run the yard, and they knew exactly where the line was, and as long as Victor was inside the invisible fence, he was very obedient. I could call to him, and he would come right away. And if he was running away from me, he'd turn right around and come back. However, Victor had a big fault. Whenever we took him out in the woods, we lived on, there was 80 acres of woods behind us. And when we'd take him back on in Maddie Hedding's woods, as soon as he was outside of that fence, he thought, now he's free. He doesn't have to listen to anyone. And he would just run straight away. And I could yell, I literally, I yelled till I was hoarse and Victor wouldn't listen. He would actually, I thought he couldn't hear me at first, and then I realized it was worse than that. Victor would be running straight away from me, and I'd yell and say, Victor, no. He'd turn around and look at me, and I'd say, come, right here. And he'd turn his back and keep on running. Well, I went shopping, and I bought a little, a special collar for Victor. That special collar was a radio collar, and I had a little controller I held in my hand, and I put that collar on him and had two little, Electrodes touched his neck through the hair. And anywhere within a 400-yard circle, um, if Victor didn't listen, I wanted to get his attention, I could hit a button, and it would beep right here by his ear, beep pretty loud, and he'd stop. And then I'd call to him, and he'd turn around and look, and I could give him a command. Well, Victor, he was loose, so he thought he didn't need to listen. He's out in the woods. He turned around and looked at me. I said, come. He turned around and ran the other way. Well, I hit the second button, and the second button shocked him. When that first shock hit him, he went, yip, and he jumped backwards. <laughs> he looked all around. He didn't know what got him, and so I called to him again. I said, Victor, come, right here. He knew exactly what I wanted, and he came running back. He ran right up to my feet, and the last, the last five or six feet, he crawled on his belly because he was sure I had gotten him. Uh, he crawled on his belly, and he started licking my shoes. And <laughs> then he got up, and we made friends, and I, you know, he, I let him run again. Well, fortunately, it only took a couple times. I only had to shock him two or three times. And Victor decided he should listen even when he's outside the fence. It's, it's better. I'm happy to say that Victor responded well to discipline. And the rest of his life, Victor was very voice sensitive. I never had to put that collar on him again. He knew that it's best if he listens. And, you know, he, we were both happier because of it. He responded to correction. You know, both of these kings, Rehoboam and Jehoshaphat, were successful kings politically. Uh, they, were, they were both successful kings, but one had prepared his heart. He was looking to God. He was willing to accept, accept instruction. And the other wasn't looking to God for instruction. He didn't want to be directed. He wanted what he wanted. His heart was not prepared to seek the Lord. You now, there's a verse in Psalms... That is a big encouragement to me when I think about preparing my heart. Because I want my heart to be prepared to seek the Lord. And in Psalm 10, verse 17, it says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart, you will cause your ear to hear. That verse is a big encouragement to me because it tells me that it's God that prepares the heart. My job is to turn to Him. My job is to realize I need Him desperately. And when I cry out to Him, it's actually God that prepares my heart. God works in me and in you, in each of us as we turn to Him. It's going to take the work of God for each of us to have a prepared heart my part is to turn to him guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life what is stored in my heart will determine my choices my choices will determine my actions which will ultimately determine my destiny you no know, like these kings had their lives summarized so you and i will also have our lives summarized someday with either, Depart from me, I never knew you, or, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And for that reason, I need to guard my heart. You know, in thinking about communion this evening, it's a time for remembering what Jesus has done for me, for us. It's a time for looking at my heart. And I ask myself, am I guarding my heart? My keeping it, all of it, for God. My looking to Him for instruction. When a thief broke into my trailer, I was completely unprepared. I wasn't ready for him. But I want to live my life with my heart prepared to seek the Lord. Best errand to lead us in the song uh, from Psalm 139 Search me, O God know my heart. Um, Do we have it in a book at all?